everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show, a big thing episode of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week we have to spend some time with Real Madrid. Truth be told, I was not sure what the topic should be this week, and I believe it was Joe Lowry who suggested, hey, Real Madrid are good. We should probably talk about them. Joe, uh, you want to explain that one a little bit more in depth? Yeah, it, it feels like, especially coming up against Manchester City in the Champions League, that this was the year that Real Madrid were, were going to struggle, right? That this is the year that they were going to come in and City were going to show them the business even away from home. And yet, it seems like it's impossible to do that to Real Madrid. There's some sort of mythical lore mm-hmm. around this club there's some sort of aura that they have that makes it impossible for them to be embarrassed, at least in consecutive competitions. They could be struggling in the league and they're still going to make a deep run in the Champions League. They can do both at the same time. Like This team is different somehow. And even as all of the revenue, it seems like in global soccer, is funneling straight towards the Premier League, even as the Premier League is the thing at the bottom of the funnel, Real Madrid is still relevant. Like Stars still want to go there. People still want to play there. And they have this ridiculously consistent level of, of success, especially in the Champions League. So it feels like that this is a good time to dig into why that is, what they do yeah. well, what stuff they do poorly, but how they've managed to continue to be this ridiculously global and monstrous brand over time that still wins on the field. So that's the, the motivation behind this show, and I'm pretty excited to dig in. As am I, because I think when we're talking about Real Madrid, we're talking about a a club that is obviously a global brand, globally known, will always appeal to the stars, as you said, Joe. But we're also talking about a club who, since Madrid got La Decima in the 2013-2014 season, they've played 25 Champions League knockout ties. They've gone through 21 times. No other club in recent memory has had their consistency of success in this competition. In the last 16 months, they've knocked out PSG, Chelsea twice, Manchester City, Liverpool, and now maybe Man City again. We'll see how it goes next week. Graham, are there any numbers that jump out to you that really sort of solidify how dominant Real Madrid have been, at least in the Champions League uh, in the last decade or so? Well, it's just the fact that they've won five of the last That'll nine do Champions League titles, <laughs> which is just completely unheard of. I mean, you look at how often clubs like your your own club Taylor Manchester United one of a, a yeah, dominant force for so, <laughs> a dominant force for so long let's talk about when they were good right so, yeah. a, so a dominant force under Salz Ferguson but Manchester United as a club have only won it 3 times so so Real Madrid in the last 9 years have won nearly double the number of Champions League or European Cups that Manchester United have in their entire history Inter Milan another huge club only won it only won it 3 times AC Milan I think are third in the or maybe they're second actually in the list they've won it 7 times so Real Madrid have have won it double the number of times of the nearest team to them in in, in the list in European Cup terms so yeah that is the most stark number for me it's it's the headline the fact that Real Madrid continually do this in 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 the European Cup and the Champions League, despite the fact that in La Liga they've they've only won two of the last six Spanish titles. So there's something about league competitions. They struggle for that consistency over the course of of, of the full season. But in cup competitions, of course, they won the Copa del Rey at the weekend there against Osasuna. But in cup competitions like the Champions League, they are emboldened by something around those circumstances. Graham, for you, uh, a person who has, uh, I believe, been to the Bernabeu, is that correct? Yes, that's right. And has watched Real Madrid plenty throughout the years. How different does this team feel or this iteration of this team feel to you from teams of the past? Because we obviously had the Galacticos where they were signing every big name player and it was sort of sometimes winning, sometimes not, but always having just star power at every single position. 
they still do, obviously, compared to Brentford or somebody like that. Shots fired at Brentford for no particular reason. But at the same time, it's not quite the Galactico team that we've seen uh, in recent memory. No, absolutely not. In fact, I would say it's very different from the Galacticos team in that Real Madrid. And we'll talk a little bit more about transfer strategy um, later in, in, in the show. But Real Madrid are really focusing on finding the, the next superstars rather than signing established superstars. Now, that is quite a heavy-handed point because, of course, there's still players coming in like David Alaba and Antonio Rudiger. But these players have been signed on, on free transfers. I think with the, the first Galacticos era it felt like the whole strategy was just get as many big names, superstars in the building and we'll win, we'll win games. I kind of feel like Real Madrid now have a bit more joined up thought behind what they're, they're, they're doing, certainly off the pitch yeah. and how they're bu- building a team. So even the, the second Galacticos era, so Florentino Perez is the, the Real Madrid president. He's in his second stint as president. He had a, a first stint, which is where he signs Zidane and Figo and Ronaldo and Beckham and all those players. He then leaves and then comes back because Real Madrid had a pretty difficult period under Ramon Calderon as president. But then the start of that second period, which which starts with Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo and Benzema and Kaká signing, people kind of forget that the first three, four years of that were really difficult for Real Madrid. They didn't enjoy much success in the Champions League and that kind of felt like they were repeating the mistakes of the first Galacticos era. I would say in the last 10 years they've learned from that and they've actually tried to build a team on the pitch. I would say the core of that has been that midfield where we've had Modric and Kroos and Casemiro who obviously last, last uh, left last summer but even bringing in Chiumene and Camavinga it feels like there is more of a focus on as I say yeah. building a team rather than just selling shirts. Yeah I totally agree Graham. I think that is one of the things that has made Real Madrid such a success in recent years is their ability to go out and, and yes take swings at big players and maybe we'll talk more about that later. That is always going to be a part of Real Madrid's identity. It has been for 80 years now, a little less than 80 years, like it's 70 years. It's been a long time that they've gone out and tried to sign the biggest players in the world. And they, they can and should continue to do that in most situations. But I think they understand now. And it seems pretty clear to me that they have this idea that they have to go out and, and dig into other buckets as well. Like if you want to go out and sign the, the best winger in the world, you want to go out and sign the best attacker in the world, you have to have structure behind them. And this is what PSG has, has failed to do. And we've talked about this on the big thing as well. They go out there and they, they take all these swings and build this super squad FIFA Ultimate team. And it, it falls apart because they don't have structure. They don't have a core group of players that can provide the platform and do either the dirty work or the progressing of, of the ball up the field or whatever it is. They don't have the players that are going to dig in and do those kinds of things. Real Madrid do. You mentioned the midfield core that's been around for so long. You can also look forward at, at how they're starting to retool and replace players in that core. They signed Chiumeni. They signed Camavinga over the last two years, both young, high-quality central midfielders, now they're reportedly very, very close to signing Jude Bellingham, which we talked about on the Patreon last week. Like, they're, they're signing young players to retool and refresh. Oh, you had Cristiano Ronaldo for such a long time, now you have maybe a little bit more of a gap in the attack. Oh, Eden Hazard didn't quite work out. Well, good thing we have Vinicius Jr., who we signed in 2018-19 season. He's a really young player when he joins Real Madrid, doesn't immediately have success, and now he's one of the best wingers in the world, like the best winger in the world on form right now. I think they have stumbled across over time through trial and error, this really effective balance and how they go out and build squads. It's not perfect. And I think they're still kind of always teetering on the edge of, of destroying it all when they go out and, and take, you know, swings at maybe some players that they shouldn't, but on the whole, like 
they, they do a really good job of identifying players, getting the people they want, and building a platform for the superstars to play off of. We're going to jump around a little bit in the uh, running order that we have in front of us. Listeners don't know, but I'm telling you all, because I want to jump uh, to a point we have further down. Graham, like I think the idea of this Real Madrid team being a little bit different than teams of the past is is very interesting. And, and And so I'm wondering for you, do you feel like historically Real Madrid have had an identifiable style, an identifiable approach. We talk a lot about Barcelona and, yeah. and the influence of Ajax and Johan Cruyff in the 4-3-3. I don't, in my mind, really feel like we have such a clear-cut idea of how Madrid want to play historically. I think that's, I think that's correct. So they, they have always been an attacking team, right? Even going back to the days of uh, De, De Stefano and Ferenc Puskas, that their, their approach was always to score more goals than the other team. And you can see that in the famous... Um, the, the the famous European Cup final in uh, what year is that? It's around about the sixties or the fifties. It was played at Hand and Park. That's kind of why I know about it. And Real Madrid beat Antwerp Frankfurt seven three in that game, and that kind of tells you a lot about that team at that time. They carried that into the first Galacticos era when they had the the most fearsome group of attacking players anywhere in in, in Europe, and then into that second Galacticos era that I talked about when they signed Benzema, Ronaldo, and Kaka, and 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 in the one transfer window. I honestly don't know if Real Madrid historically have a style of play that goes beyond being attacking and scoring goals. No. And obviously in modern terms, that isn't really a, a style of play. You know, we've moved beyond that. Things are a little bit more intricate. I think managers like Guardiola and, and, and Klopp and obviously Barcelona as a club and clubs like Ajax as well, they stand for something clearer than, than, than Real Madrid. I think historically, Real Madrid have been much more pliable to whoever the manager is at, at, at the time, at the time, unlike Barcelona, where generally the manager has to fit in with yeah. the ide- ideology of a club. I think Real Madrid are, are different in that regard. And, and the crazy thing is that it's worked, right? That, that's the part that blows my mind is that Real Madrid, in some ways, on the tactical side, on the game methodology side, and Grammy did a great job of walking through it, like it, it, it works for them to not have this stuff. Like, it, it's fine that they're a little bit behind the times. It's fine that you watch them and they kind of don't play like the other elite clubs. They don't play like Barcelona. They don't play like Bayern Munich. They don't play like Chelsea is a bad example. But, you know, even when Chelsea were good under Thomas Tuchel, they don't play like them or Arsenal or Man City or even a team like Inter Milan that are, are playing the best soccer in Italy right now. They don't do that stuff. But somehow they make up for what they lack at times in, in tactical intricacies they make up for that with how good their players are, with how press resistant they are, with how smart they are, with their ability to move into different spaces, with their ability to solve problems on the fly in games, with their ability to be adaptable and to play against the ball or to play with the ball. It's this ridiculous mixture of highly talented players that turns into this monster of a team seemingly over and over and over again. I just have a lot of respect for how Real Madrid have gone out and identified talent and built a squad that can compete and retool seemingly year after year. So one thing I keep wondering, or I've been wondering since we agreed on this topic, was how much of that sort of lack of a consistent style, at least more recently, is in opposition to Barcelona, as odd as that sounds. But, mm. you know, it's it's a routinely a two-horse race in La Liga. Uh, and, and I wonder, with Barcelona being this kind of possession-dominant team that they've been, uh, obviously, for a while, but specifically under Pep Guardiola and their dominance there... I think about when Jose Mourinho comes in and Real Madrid are basically, in my mind, under Jose Mourinho, become much more of a counterattacking team, much more content to defend and then counter and trust their attackers to make something happen. Graham, am I off base in giving Jose Mourinho uh, a lot of credit and Barcelona (laughs) a little bit of credit for how current Real Madrid seem to play? 
So what what you're getting at is the idea that these two clubs always need to be at polar os- opposites of yeah, the ideological spectrum from each other. So Barcelona are one thing, Real Madrid feel an obligation to be the other thing, right? That's what that's what you're getting at. I is mean, correct? yeah, kind of, or or in like maybe like spiritually so, but also I just think if you are Real Madrid and you see how dominant those uh, Pep teams are. You're not going to try to compete with them. You're not going yeah. to try to outpossession them. That that is suicidal and in some ways playing right into their hands. You are going to try to like basically give them what they want because I think there's an idea of fine, you can have all the ball, you can have the possession, but then we will be ruthless in the counter and exploit your sort of complacency on the ball. It's a little bit what we saw this with this week with them playing against Man City that they're okay with not having the ball if it means that they're going to take their opportunities when they come, which they did. So I think to some extent I'm just wondering if part of their present identity has to do with a willingness to not have the ball, but uh, play on the counter and be effective at it. So I think the, the 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 realization that Mourinho had in his second season speaks to what you're saying there, where actually in his first season, Mourinho tried to match up against Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. And I remember Barcelona just smashing Real Madrid in a, a two-legged Champions League tie. And that was a really, really damaging. Keep in mind that at this time, Mourinho is the predominant the preeminent manager in European football he's just come off the back of leading an an unfancied inter team to to the treble in 2010 he goes to Real Madrid the next season he tries to match up against Pep Guardiola's Barcelona doesn't work at all the following season after that is when he implements that style that you're talking about Taylor the kind of quick transition counter-attacking style and that's when Real Madrid I think that season they achieved a record points haul the number of goals they scored was was something ridiculous it was a record as well and that's when they dethrone Pep's Barcelona as, as La Liga champions and I do think you're right I think Florentino Perez has has used that as as a, as a as a as a template I think a large part of that is because that team that Mourinho had then there's been a lot of lingering influence from players like Kroos and Modric and Benzema of course who's still in this Real Madrid team and still a very influential team so there hasn't really been this this singular point where Florentino Perez has thought, I'm going to re- rebuild this squad entirely. It's the, the, the team that Mourinho built back then, 13 years ago, you can still see, you can trace this current team back to that team. Occasionally, Real Madrid or Perez, they do try and change direction. So I think of the appointment of Julian Lopetegui, who at Wolves, is, he's the Wolves manager now, um, for anyone who doesn't know, the, the style of play that he plays at Wolves, I think is very different to what he played at Real Madrid and certainly when he was Spain manager. He was very possession orientated and, and Real Madrid appointed him to kind of evolve that style. Then he's out the door like three months later and Perez and Real Madrid go back to what they know and that's kind of led them to, to where they are today. So I think there is, there is certainly in that tailor of Real Madrid making themselves kind of the antithesis of Barcelona and that very much working for them. Let's talk about where they are today in just a second. First, quick break to hear from some sponsors. Welcome back. Continuing to talk about Real Madrid and their playing style of late. Joe, I guess I'm now categorizing them as uh, a counter-attacking team. I guess against smaller teams or against weaker opposition, maybe they're going to have more of the ball and be more dominant. But for the most part, I think of them as a counter-attacking team. And yet, I think of them as still a wildly entertaining team. I guess those two things don't have to be in opposition to each other. But sometimes we see counter-attacking teams being 
sit deep and, and be sort of frustrating and dull and then take your opportunities when they come. I would never say Real Madrid are dull. Do you find them pretty engaging to watch? 100%. And I would hit back pretty aggressively at the counterattacking notion there as we well. Okay. I mean, they're, they're at 59.8% possession this year. And when you have the, the quality of players that they have like in most games, they're going to dominate the ball. In most games, they're going to dominate, period. The, the times when they look like they're playing against the ball a bit more is in the Champions League. And I think that's a really special part about what makes this team so good. I think in many, many ways, they are built for the UEFA Champions League. They have the match winners to do it, right? And we saw that with Vinicius Jr. against Manchester City. We've seen it over and over and over again throughout this club's existence. They have the elite talent. And that's where you have to start when you talk about a club that's capable of winning the Champions League and, and a club that's done it as consistently as Real Madrid have. So they have that. They also have structure, right? In some ways, they don't have the Barcelona super committed to Cruyff's ideology baby that they've had for decades now. They don't They do not do that stuff. And Graham, I think you walked through that really, really well earlier. But they can play with the ball or they can play against the ball and against other top teams. Like I said, Taylor, that's when I think we see them being a bit more counterattacking. And I think really that's where their match winners thrive. Like that's where Vinicius Jr. thrives. That's where Kareem Benzema thrives, although he's so good that he can do it anywhere. And, and Vinny Jr. is as well. But like they're they're at their best in those kinds of moments they have such a high ceiling with their elite talent. That makes them entertaining to get to your question, Taylor. They have such a high ceiling with their elite talent. And I think they have really a high floor with their varied structure that they can look like a counterattacking team at times. They can say, all right, we'll play against the ball. Like we're going to drop a, a pretty complex, but also intuitive defensive game plan and make your life really, really difficult. And we're, we're going to hit you on the break. But then in that same game to keep bringing us back to that Man City game from earlier this week, the goal that Real Madrid score isn't a counterattack. It's not them absorbing pressure and sitting in and suffering for, for minutes at a time, winning the ball finally and then going out on the break. It's them in buildup. Like it, it's Camavinga getting the ball at left back, then combining with Luka Modric, one, two up that left side, finding Vinicius Jr. in, in close to zone 14 outside the box and him banging the ball home. Like this team can do almost anything. They, they might not actually be the best at any one individual thing, but because they're so good at so many things, I think they're incredible to watch, and I, I pretty much jump at a chance to watch them. So I agree, Joe. They're they're not a typical counter-attacking team in that numerous games in La Liga they will they will dominate the ball. But they are they, they are a team that when they're playing at their best, and certainly in Champions League games against higher caliber opposition, there is that forward thrust, which I could, which is the thing that maybe leads people to say that they're a counter-attacking team. They are good at creating those transition moments from build-up phases right which yes, is what they 100%. did from the, they, that's what they did for the goal against Manchester City and those are the kind of teams that I look I know it's all it's all uh, all subjective right and people really like intricate possession sequences and Real Madrid do their own share of that as well but it's it's those fast and furious forward thrust transition moments that get me off my seat when I'm watching Real Madrid. I've always loved teams that have been able to do that. Manchester United under Ferguson, when they were really good, they were able to do that. And Real Madrid are better at those moments, I think, than any other team in Europe right now. This might How be is an that, obvious... Graham? Why is that? Like, I, I agree with you, and sorry <laughs> to cut you off, but th- that's the thing that I think I keep coming back to, is that doesn't feel earth-shattering, that doesn't feel wholly innovative, and yet... When it's Real Madrid, they just seem so good at it. I don't know if it's experience, if it's veteran ability, if it's just they have those difference makers, what it is. But they are so effective in transition that I think that's a point worth dwelling on a little bit longer. I kind of think, and Joe, you can maybe jump in here with more tactical nuance, but 
is it just the fact they've got really good players to conduct those moments? I know that seems like a, a, a such a simplistic, reductive point, but you look through the players that are constructing those moments, which is essentially that your front six for Real Madrid. I know you might have Alaba stepping into midfield or Militao playing diagonal balls or whatever, but generally it's, the, it's, it's that front six. You know, they have the current Ballon d'Or holder who just so happens to be the best all-round centre-forward in, in the game and you have his passing range. You then have another Ballon d'Or winner in midfield who is capable of the most outrageous passes from anywhere on the pitch. They have the most electric winger in world football right now. And they have another winger on the other side with a real knack for scoring big goals as well. And they've collected some of the best young midfielders around yep. over the last few years. And as Joe mentioned, they're about to add Jude Bellingham to that group. So their, their, their execution is so good in those moments because they have the highest technical ability in those players. Yeah, 100%, 100% agree with that. Like, that's always where I come back to with Real Madrid. It's always with how high of a floor they have and how high of a ceiling they have because of their players, number one, and how adaptable they are, number two. And both of those things, when you put it together, make this incredibly efficient, oftentimes. It's not like this team is is without faults, but by and large, makes this incredibly efficient, dangerous attacking group that is always going to cause problems, especially in knockout moments where the margins are so thin and, and that talent can edge them over the line or that adaptability can edge them over the line. The profiles that they have... I mean, Graham, you said it, like super press resistant in midfield and even deeper down the field. They have wingers who can beat you 1v1. They can run in behind Kareem Benzema. I mean, how good is Kareem Benzema, right? Like he he is one of the best attacking players that this sport has ever seen. And he has helped Real Madrid be consistently relevant up top, even as the players around him have changed. He is a phenomenal presence in that in that line that can bring Vinicius Jr. into the game, that can then turn and face forward, that could be the focal point of a team all on his own, but he's good enough that he can get his and also help others get theirs too. Like all the pieces just fit together really, really well. And it's not to say, I know we're, we're heaping praise on Real Madrid. It's not to say that this team is perfect. Like I, I do think there are moments where they'll get exposed because their midfield is a bit slow and their attacking players don't always track all the way back. They do so more than PSG, but they're still vulnerable in that way. They don't always defend as a team. They don't always attack as a team. They have vulnerabilities. They have not fully retooled their squad. There are weak points in this group. Like they, they could get pummeled by City in the second leg, and I don't think that would really surprise us going into going into the second half of these Champions League matches for the semifinal round. But man, the way that they continue to adapt and evolve year over year is is pretty pretty impressive for a soccer team. With that evolution, I think oftentimes comes a lot of uh, squad turnover, new players coming in, older players being sold on. I want to spend some time with their recent transfer strategy because I do think, we talked about this a little bit in the introduction, I do think it has changed. And you're still getting them, obviously, going after huge names, Jude Bellingham, uh, chief amongst them of late. But I, I think... It's been more selective, and I don't know if the failure to acquire Kylian Mbappe or Kylian Mbappe signing a ridiculous deal with PSG, I don't know how that fits into things. But I I think about Fede Valverde has been there for a very long time and I think consistently finds his way back into the starting 11. Luka Modric has never left it but has been there a long time. Kareem Benzema the same. And so they've they've had these acquisitions that – I think in other Real Madrid squads would have been there and then been moved on after a few seasons once they were better younger players or theoretically better younger players coming through. And it does feel like instead they've kept those 
veterans around that have that sort of winning mentality and pedigree, but then have focused on bringing through young players, obviously for still a lot of money, but they're getting younger players coming through who are then betting into the system. In some ways, Graham, it reminds me of what we talk about with Man City under Pep Guardiola, that they bring in players, but then there's an opportunity for them to develop a little bit or kind of get their bearings before they're just fully thrown into the spotlight. And, And I think in that way, it's an evolution in Madrid's transfer strategy, as I understand it, at least. And it's and it's not just the players that they have brought in either. It's the players that they have allowed to leave. And look, they don't get they don't get every single decision right. I would no. argue that letting Akraf Hakimi leave to go mm, to Inter Milan was one. probably a bad decision, <laughs> yeah. given that they're now looking to replace Danny Carvajal. Probably should have kept him around, yeah. even if it was putting him out on loan somewhere. He should be a Real Madrid player, but. Real Madrid, this is the second kind of mention of Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United, but Taylor, you'll remember Ferguson used to be excellent at knowing when to move a player on and everyone else thought he was making a mistake. That player looked to be at their peak, but then he would evolve the team with what came after that. So I'm looking at last summer, Real Madrid letting Casemiro go to Manchester United. I think that, that kind of came out of the blue. Casemiro was one of their most important players. Then they spend that money, or actually I think they'd already spent this money on Chiuameni, but nonetheless, that's where they budgeted that money from, was selling Casemiro. They bring in Chiuameni. The season before that, Rafael Varane, another player going to, to, to Manchester United. They're very good at moving players on. Martin Odegaard, uh, that one's borderline for me. He's obviously one of the best players in the Premier League now, but I kind of look at that Real Madrid midfield and think, well, especially if they're bringing in Jude Bellingham and they've already got Camavinga and Chiamini, like where does he kind of fit in? So maybe pocket the cash. And obviously that money was going towards the Kylian Mbappe fund at that time, which didn't happen. But in terms of players that have come in, over the last five years or so, Real Madrid's transfer strategy has been kind of two-pronged. So they pick up established stars on cut-price deals or as free agents, and and they spend, the second part of it is they spend big bucks on highly rated young players. So we've seen David Alaba, Antonio Rudiger come in as established stars, as free agents. We've also seen, as I've already mentioned uh, on the show, Chiumene, Camavinga coming in for a lot of money. We've also seen, it goes far back, you know, a number of years, it goes back to Vinicius coming in, and Rodrigo, and Eder Militao as well. It's kind of a reverse galactical strategy, because in the first Perez spell, it was about spending spending the huge money on Zidane and Figo and Ronaldo and then signing youngsters at a lower level or bringing them through. And I think there's a strong argument that this latest strategy is actually more successful in terms of building a coherent team, not just in the in the present, but building a team over a long period of time. I mean, Real Madrid are banking on Camavinga and Chiuameni and Vinicius and Rodrigo and all these guys being around kind of for the next 10 years. That's why, they, that's why they've built this team as, as, as they have. They do also have a red of first refusal on Martin Odegaard if he uh, decides to leave Arsenal. So I guess they could bring him back if they if they need to make that happen. Who knows if they will, because it does feel like the forward planning has worked thus far. Though, Graham, you have made me now sort of sad that we don't get Ashraf Hakimi in with this Real Madrid team. I'm guessing he is also kind of sad about that one, given the way things have gone at PSG on and off the pitch. Uh, How does his mom Joe, feel? How does mom feel? That's the real question. We should be yes, exactly. <laughs> his, he and Adrian Rabiot have, uh, have mothers in their lives, is how I'll put it. Uh, Joe, <laughs> have you been as impressed by Real Madrid's transfer strategy? Because, again, we're talking about a Real Madrid team that really can spend – I think within reason, kind of any amount they want, and I think always are going to have an appeal. There's always going to be an allure to playing for Real Madrid. So I think in some ways, 
They don't have to work that hard to bring players in, uh, Kylian sure. Mbappe being the obvious exception, but it does seem like they still have been doing a better job of more consistently identifying talents that can either play right away or be able to play a year from now. And I think that speaks to the consistency, the stability of that club that we haven't always seen. I think, in my mind, they've been a very volatile club at times. And so if you're a player going in there, maybe you're going to start, but maybe you're going to be on the bench because there's a new manager with a new style and you don't quite fit. And I think in some ways that consistency has made that transfer strategy easier, but also look better. I think so. I think so. Real Madrid, it feels to me, are always on the edge of volatility. Like if they're not there, they're like teetering on on the brink of it. But they've done yeah, a pretty it's good like job. Just can't help himself sometimes. <laughs> right. Like it's like it sees the shiny thing. Oh, the shiny thing! I need to go for the shiny thing. No, no, I've got a Champions League winning team. I'm going to stay the course. Yeah, it was. I was reading a piece in the Athletic, I think by Oliver K, but I, I don't remember fully about Real Madrid in preparation for this episode. And the idea was that when Perez was was you know being reelected in that process. He was promising structure in April. He was promising like they were going to retool and restructure. And by October, he was promising Mbappe, right? That, that is always <laughs> the balance of this club, right? But in general, they've done a better job of identifying and signing players than most. I think that's, that's pretty hard to dispute. And certainly among the elite level clubs where there's a lot of misses, there's a lot of players that don't fit. Real Madrid have done a good job of identifying talents. And we've already talked about a lot of those players. Taylor, you said something there, though, that's interesting to me. And, and Graham, you, you discussed this in the context of the Jude Bellingham reports last week. It's this fact that Real Madrid are still attractive to players, right? And, and this is what, what I was thinking about and, and sort of mulling over my brain as we were preparing to do this show because the Premier League is where the money is. Like that is, it, as far as the, the sheer size and reach of a single sporting entity, a sporting league, the Premier League is, is now miles ahead of everybody else. But there are a few clubs around the world that can still hold a candle to it. Like there's a few clubs, and Real Madrid is one of them, that can still compete financially, that can still compete in terms of, of players wanting to be there, being attractive. Real Madrid is, is one of those teams. They've almost become like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like their attractiveness has almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy because you think back to a long time ago in the 50s and 60s, that first Galacticos era, really ever since then, they've been a contender. Like they've been relevant at the top of La Liga or near the top since the, the mid to late 1950s. That's a long time. Along that road, you have so many different star players. You have so many different moments where players are growing up watching Real Madrid, where players are coming in and seeing this team have success and saying like, wow, that's an institution. I want to I play for them. It's like, it's like a powerhouse in college sports. It's like Alabama football, right? Where they're so good now that they don't really have to sell themselves. Real Madrid are so good that they don't really have to sell themselves. Kylian Mbappe can be excited about playing for Real Madrid because he watched Ronaldo and he watched Zidane. And now Mbappe, if he ends up at Real Madrid, will inspire the next Mbappe. Or even if it's not Mbappe, it'll be the next Bellingham, who's the, you know, a really fantastic English player who's like, I want to go do something special. Like, I want to go play for someone else. Not a Premier League club, not Manchester City, not Manchester United, not Liverpool, whatever it is. With their history, I think everybody has grown up being aware of Real Madrid's relevance and being aware of their dominance. High-profile players are watching them over and over again, and it makes some of the recruitment, I would imagine, a lot yeah. easier. And, and Madrid have leveraged that into a really successful product. I think that's I think that's increasingly pertinent for Real Madrid the fact that it's making recruitment easier for them. Because Taylor, you you said there that Real Madrid can kind of spend what they want, and I understand why you would say that because they they spent you know 100 million euros on 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 Chiumeni, something close to that on Camavinga. So they're clearly still spending the big fees every summer. Within but reason, actually, yeah. Real Madrid's mm-hmm. Real Madrid's debt stands at I think it's 850 million euros. Mm-hmm. Now there is the the factor 
they're the, the explanation, the part explanation at least, that they are redeveloping the Bernabeu right now. It's been in a, a state of reconstruction for about three years now. I think it's going to be finished either later this year or early next year. And that has been a huge, huge project for them. And a lot of capital has gone into that. So I'd imagine that is that is factored into that debt number. But actually, Real Madrid can't really compete with Man City or PSG certainly or Newcastle United now that they're owned by the Saudis. So politically for Perez, he is he is every summer there's a big marquee signing that they can say, look, we've spent a hundred million euros on Germany or Bellingham or whoever. But actually when you look at their full transfer activity over the last five years, they're not spending as much as the other clubs. And the fact that Real Madrid are they still have this allure that Joe talked about. The fact that they're still the club of the Galacticos, the fact that they win so many Champions League and Champions Leagues, and that is their competition, that is so valuable right now. Because if they didn't have that, I imagine Jude Bellingham, for example, we should say this isn't a done deal. Where the reporting is though that he's close to signing for Real Madrid, but I'd imagine Jude Bellingham maybe goes elsewhere. He doesn't go to Real Madrid. He goes to the Premier League instead. I want to stick with this some more because I think it's pretty fascinating, especially the debt and how they navigate that one. Uh, Back soon with more Real Madrid conversation. Welcome back. Uh, When last we left you, uh, Graham was making a very salient point about Real Madrid's debt and their ability or maybe potential lack thereof to spend the way they want. And I think we've seen that with them having to really kind of keep their powder dry for a couple of years to then have a go at killing Mbappe, who they don't end up landing. And maybe that works out for them for the better long term. But I think Mbappe aside, and maybe we should spend some time drilling into that one if you all want to. But I, I think part of why I think they're so fascinating from a transfer perspective is because money money wise, I think they've always been able to spend maybe less so these days. I think the, the oil money and Premier League uh, money is an apt point. But I also think when you look at how they're standing, basically, their global standing, like, let's run it through real quick. Who do you all think of as Real Madrid legends? Like, who are some of the the most high-profile players that have ever played for the club? Zidane. Yeah. Zidane, both Ronaldos, Figo, Raul, Sergio Ramos, Benzema, Modric. Yep. Yeah. And then go back even further. Go back to, like, the De Stefano days or the Pushkas days or, like... Starting Ugh. starting there and moving forward, they are very international, and it is the club of of of, of Franco. So there's obvious like the the Spanish orientation to them throughout their history. But Alfredo De Stefano, Colombia, Argentina, Spain, all represented by him. Ferenc Puskas, who got the Eastern Bloc in there. Ronaldo, original Ronaldo, that is, and then uh, Ronaldo, Portuguese Ronaldo. Like I just I think about the areas of influence they've had historically. I don't think Premier League clubs have always done a great job of recruiting South Americans. I think this, like, I don't think there's always been that immediate connection to Germany. Maybe Italy a little bit more because of the Argentina-Italy connection, but I think Real Madrid have, because of that transfer policy and because of the, I think, the way they've, who they've signed and, and the, like, just the kind of, the many different nations represented, I think they have a global appeal that few other clubs can come close to. Probably Barcelona is the only other one in my mind, and that's why those two, I think, are clubs that people will play for. Even when Barcelona's in free fall, they will still get people signing there on free transfers because it's Barcelona. And I think Real Madrid are the same because of that lasting impact of having fans 
in Brazil because of Ronaldo and in Spain because of Sergio Ramos or Raul, but like in Portugal, in France, wherever else you want to go, I feel like they have, you're going to find Real Madrid knockoff jerseys because of that global appeal. Yeah, they're, they're a massive club in that way. And that helps with revenue. It helps with, you know, creating a market for your product in different places around the world. And Taylor, I think you make a great point. It certainly helps in terms of transfers as well. You can go get Vinicius Jr. from South America. You can go get him from Brazil. You can go get Endrick. He'll be joining this club in, in the summer, I believe, of 2024. A young, talented Brazilian attacker that's super highly rated that they paid a pretty penny for, but they didn't pay Kylian Mbappe money for. So like, you, you can go into these markets and, and swoop in and get who you want, right? And, and English teams are, are doing that more, but I think there's this, still this idea that most of the English talent that comes up through those academies stay in England and that a lot of those players on elite clubs are are more from the UK. I think that's it's less and less true now. Yeah. But there's very clearly with Madrid and has been for a long time this this real emphasis on recruiting from a number of different places. The Brazil thing is interesting because in recent years, Real Madrid have made a real effort to not just scout Brazil, but recruit the best young Brazilian players. And that that can actually be traced back to Real Madrid losing out on Neymar. So they, they tracked Neymar for years. They thought he was theirs. The, the, the context around Neymar at that time is at Santos... At, at that time, there was there was so much hype around Neymar to the point where it ju- it was just accepted this was the new Pele. Like, it, 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 this is the new Pele, it's the next world superstar in world football. And Real Madrid felt personally slighted that a player emerged in Brazil and they're the club with that global appeal that Taylor and, and, and Joe have spoken about there, and they didn't get him. And not only did they not get him, he went to Barcelona. And so after that, Perez apparently vowed to never let that happen again. He's always had a bit of a fascination with Brazilian players like Ronaldo and Roberto Carlos. But now Real Madrid have this incredible scouting network. And whenever a high-value youngster emerges there, they are at the front of the queue. The players that Joe mentioned, Vinicius, Rodrigo, uh, Renier Jesus was one that didn't work mm-hmm. out. We should note that there are that there are some whiffs from Real Madrid. Uh, Eden Hazard, no, I know not a Brazilian, but Eden Hazard was a big money transfer that didn't work. Uh, Luka Jovic as well didn't work. Uh, Renier Jesus was a player they signed from Brazil from, at a young age. That didn't work out, but now they've got Endrick coming from Palmeiras next summer as well. So the Brazil thing is interesting, and I think kind of encapsulates encapsulates, excuse me, what you're talking about there, Taylor. There's also still always that possibility with Madrid that a player is going to pop up like four years later and be good. So we'll see what happens with Renier Jesus. But uh, yeah, right now he is not maybe on the list of Real Madrid legends. So uh, as we're coming closer to a close in this episode. I want to try to kind of distill everything we've talked about into some key ideas for how they've been so successful. Uh, what I have in my notes would be consistency of, of late, uh, the number of Champions League's ones. I, I, I think if you look at certainly their domestic, uh, the number of domestic silverware is is impressive. I think that coupled with the number of times they've had success in Europe, I think they're pretty clearly the biggest club on the planet. I think they have the name recognition. I think they have the the greatest history of, of success uh, when you combine everything they've won and, and just the appeal there. So I think to some extent it is that name brand, number one. But the consistency more recently, I think, is a huge factor of it. Uh, I think their adaptability is something we talked a lot about uh, and their ability to get the best out of their elite players for a longer period of time, I think, are all pretty key factors. Uh, would you all agree with those? And what else would you throw in there for how they've been able to be so good for so long? I think the front office as well probably deserves a mention from Real Madrid. They are... 
their front office is unusual and doesn't really work in the same way that other club front offices work. So in terms of, obviously you have, I don't know if presidents are usually included in front offices, but it feels so much of Real Madrid's decision-making flows through Perez, we kind of have to mention him. But in terms of the structure beneath Perez, it's kind of confusing. They had a sporting director a number of years ago. That man was called Zinedine Zidane. That was actually his first management job with Real Madrid. After he was moved into the manager's job, they kind of ditched that position. So technically speaking, Real Madrid don't have a sporting director. Instead, they have a sort of committee that includes Perez. Um, then it's the manager of, of the time, obviously Ancelotti now. Then it's CEO Jose Angel Sanchez. Then it's uh, chief scout Juni Califat. And then recently Santi Solari, obviously a former Real Madrid manager and player. He was also added to the front office as, as, as head of development. So it kind of reminds me of... Do you remember everyone talked about Liverpool's transfer committee and the idea being you're adding in you're adding in data analysis opinion and you've you've got the manager's opinion so you're never signing a player that the manager doesn't really have an idea of how to fit into the team and I think we've seen that with Real Madrid in recent years where yes they do make mistakes in the transfer market but their hit rate is pretty remarkable where a big young a big uh, money young player is signed but they instantly go into the team because there has been that that sort of synergy with the, the manager and so as I say they're not signing it there's not there's not much wastage with Real Madrid at the moment I think that is one thing that kind of separates them certainly from a lot of big Spanish clubs where you might have a superstar sporting director like Monchi at Sevilla, and if you don't align perfectly with the manager, there is that wastage. We've seen that at Sevilla recently. We've even seen it at Barcelona with the number of players that they've signed. Players like Frank Kessie. Did they really need to sign Frank Kessie when Xavi didn't have a plan for him? I think that is something that separates Real Madrid from the rest. Um, I would add like myth-making a little bit to this list. Just that uh, there was an article about the Bernabeu and how they've made into this fortress and how it's so intimidating to play with. Uh, the Athletic had, did a bunch of different interviews with uh, a variety of players, in Giorgio Chiellini, uh, Javier Hernandez, people not playing in Major League Soccer also included, but just talking about how intimidating that atmosphere and how much work has to be done to to not feel like you've already lost the game before it even kicks off. Mm. and. And some of that is the atmosphere and the history, but I think some of that is also myth-making. It is this feeling of that, like, there's just something about Real Madrid. They find a way to win. You can never count them out. They're always going to be in into it. They're always going to be up for it. Are they 3-0 down? That's fine. They'll still find a way to come back and, and win the fixture over two legs. I think that level of narrative makes them difficult to play because from the jump, I think teams are already intimidated or already feel like, like, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. I don't know how we're going to make anything happen. So I think that also factors into what makes Real Madrid such a confusing and uh, frightening team to play against. Yeah, it, it's there's lore, right? And yeah, this is kind of yeah. what I tried to get at earlier with this idea of them being a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways, both as a destination. But now it's just like uh, there's something mythical about it. Like there's this lore about Real Madrid that is this very ethereal kind of nebulous concept. But I think we've talked about all the reasons why that is. Like there is a legitimate fear if you're an opponent of coming in to face this team of having uh, a Champions League matchup with them or, or playing them in the league or playing them in the cup, whatever it is, because of how good they've been at so many things. And again, there have been missteps. There have been bad signings. There will be bad signings. I'm not convinced that, at least with how the squad is constructed now, and a lot can change by 2024, but with how the squad's constructed now, that adding Mbappe makes any sense to this group. It feels unnecessary, <laughs> and it feels like a, a dream that they've been chasing because they feel like it's something they need to do, but they they really don't. But like, th- there are going to be missteps, there are going to be mistakes, but you know, so many factors combine to make this team 
the, the legendary club that it is. Final thing then, how do we think this plays out in the next couple seasons? Post-Enchilotti, let's say. Do we think this stability remains? Do we think they bring in somebody who tries to change up the style completely? Do we think they are going to kind of try to make a statement signing like an Mbappe? Is that what Jude Bellingham is? Graham, do you have thoughts on how things maybe play out for Real Madrid in the next couple of years? So reading between the lines and going on the reporting that's around, it feels like Mbappe this summer is unlikely, highly unlikely, given that Messi is going to be on his way out of PSG. It's not out of the question that Neymar as well could be on his way out. And so allowing all three to leave in one summer doesn't feel very likely. Also, the fact that Real Madrid are going for Jude Bellingham, I can't imagine that there's the money in place for them to also go after Kylian Mbappe, who of course will be under contract he's still under contract this summer at PSG so they'd have to pay a gigantic transfer fee I can't even imagine the transfer fee that would get PSG to sell Mbappe to Real Madrid so that feels like one for further down the line Um, my hunch my gut says that Mbappe at some point will be a Real Madrid player the smart thing for Real Madrid to do would be to align phasing Benzema out of this team with bringing in Mbappe and I, I know they're not the same sort of player Mbappe doesn't have the skill and possession that Benzema does so you are changing kind of the character of the team a little bit but nonetheless that was always that my thing with Mbappe was where is he going to play because he can't play in the left they've got Vinicius he's less effective on the right and they've got Benzema as their as their attacking hub so I always had that question I agree with Joe there in terms of what happens with the manager the reporting right now is so publicly Ancelotti is saying that he will stay and his coaching staff will stay he'll still be under contract into next season but behind closed doors, he's unhappy with some of the criticism that he is facing as Real Madrid manager. And there is a good chance that he will leave at the end of the season, regardless of what happens in the Champions League, even if Real Madrid go all the way and win it. He is on the shortlist. I think he's at the top of the shortlist for the Brazil job, mm-hmm. which he has publicly expressed an interest in, which was an interesting move for him. He said it was an exciting opportunity. I don't know whether that's just a, a a kind of political power play from Ancelotti or whether he is being candid and he he wants that job. I feel like we're moving towards the end of his time as Real Madrid manager. And in terms of who could replace him, I think there's a good chance it's Julian Nagelsmann. I know there's a lot of talk right now about Nagelsmann going to Tottenham, but Perez has long had a fascination with Nagelsmann. He's also had a fascination with Pochettino, to be fair, but it feels like he's on his way to Chelsea this summer. Nagelsmann was offered the Real Madrid Madrid job. I believe he's been offered it twice. I think he was offered at Hoffenheim, and I think he was offered it when he was at RB Leipzig as well, before he went to Bayern. He's turned it down twice, so maybe he would turn it down a third time. Maybe he's just not so keen on that structure and that kind of vibesy approach that Real Madrid have but obviously if it is Nagelsmann that will be a big ideological shift for Real Madrid they have tried it before I mentioned Lopetegui at that time that was a big ideological shift into a more possession based approach which maybe Nagelsmann would would kind of be a second bite of that that cherry but um, yeah Perez has kind of demonstrated a willingness to change styles in the past and, and I am very interested to see what they do after Ancelotti because Zidane to Ancelotti felt very much like a kind of natural progression both of those managers don't really stand for any kind of set ideology, ideology but um, yeah I don't know who continues that thread I think it's more likely they bring in someone who tries to impose their own style yeah, the Nagelsmann one would be fascinating because he doesn't really give off the same vibesy approach that Real Madrid have used for so long. 
I think they can be flexible, and that's the value of the squad that they build is that this squad can do so many different things. I hope I've emphasized that properly, but not too much over the course of this show. Like, they're so flexible. So I think they could do really well under Nagelsmann, but it would be a big adjustment to have a coach who I think is as detail-oriented and will want to have a bit more control over what's going on on the field. It could be incredible, and it could take Real Madrid to the next level, or it could flop, and Nagelsmann will be out in six months. It would be very, very interesting. Graham, what is some of the criticism, as far as you understand, that is annoying Ancelotti? Is it about tactics? Is it about the way he's evolved the squad? I'm assuming it's maybe being defensive at times. I have no idea, because I feel like if you have Carlo Ancelotti, you should maybe just sit back and let him cook. To be honest, it's from what I've seen anyway from Marca and uh, AS, the, the the sports dailies in Spain, it's not really anything tactical or ideological. It's just the fact that Barcelona have won the La Liga title this season at a canter as well. You know, there hasn't really been a title race in Spain as good as Real Madrid are and have been in the Champions League and in the Copa del Rey. That consistency just completely evaded them in La Liga. So I think the criticism comes from that. Also, just this this general unhappiness at Real Madrid that they they aren't able to have the same dominance on the Liga. As I said, two titles in the last six years. They've won more Champions League titles than the Liga titles in that time. So I think that's where the criticism stems from. And as with everything with Real Madrid, if Barcelona are doing better in anything, it could be it could be both those teams have basketball teams, you know, that that puts pressure on on, on the club as well if there's the if the basketball team's doing better. I think if I'm listing um basketball always important. Uh I think if I'm <laughs> listing the the kind of factors that make Real Madrid Real Madrid. I do think having a proper rival that you can see as a villain is part of it because with Bayern Munich, I don't think they always have that that other club who is pushing them to the next level. Sometimes they do, but oftentimes they don't. Whereas with Madrid, even as they're having this success, there is still that frustration that they're not having more success. And Barcelona, I think, have the exact same mentality. And so I think when you have a rival that's going to push you, it just kind of keeps yeah. you evolving. It keeps you striving for more. It really keeps you from being complacent. And I think that is part of the recipe that makes the, Real Madrid Real Madrid. The Barca thing is funny because at Real Madrid, they go, why are we not winning La Liga more? And yeah. then you go over to Camp Nou and the, the, the argument for them the last however many years has been, why are we not winning the Champions League more? So they're, all, they're just destined to be unhappy in that relationship. <laughs> and then they're comparing, I'm guessing, like loan strategies for how to find money. That, that's, that's one thing they can share. <laughs> yeah, that is one thing that they have in common. Also, just I think it's funny the arms race like Barcelona are now redeveloping their stadium and they're boasting about how our re- redevelopment is going to be worth one billion euros, which is more than what Real Madrid are spending on the Bernabeu. It's just it's just kind of nonstop between those two. Oh, you gotta love it! You gotta love it, uh, Joe. Any other thoughts on Real Madrid and how they've become so Real Madrid uh, in recent memory, but also for always? No, not really. I think we've covered through a lot of the stuff. This club is is massive, and I expect that they will continue to be a real player on this stage, even as the Premier League continues to gain power for a long time. Well, Graham Ruthven, Amanda Suave, it's Carlo Ancelotti. Thank you for joining me to talk oh. Real Madrid today. That was a compliment, but we all know that is not true. Thank you, Taylor Rotwell. <laughs> it was a compliment. And Joe Lowry, a man as suave and calm under pressure as Kareem Benzema. Thank you for joining me today. I was worried I was going to get just the eyebrows, like just a man with eyebrows like Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I will take I will take the, the calm under pressure compliment. Much better, Taylor. Thank you. And you never blackmailed a teammate. So, uh, at the, or been involved in a blackmail scheme. So, Joe, uh, you, you know have that going of. for you as well. 
Uh, yes, no, I've definitely never done that. No. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, Fire Truck of Lorries, prepare yourselves. Listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week.